back to The Shelf Oddities. I'm Serafina. And I'm Yuri. And the oddity that I'm feeling like this week is the hoof ashtrays that we've started seeing all over the oddity <laughs> marketplace groups. It's yeah. literally just like the hoof of some sort of hoofed animal, and the top of it has been turned into an ashtray. You know, I mean, like, you we're hoofing a- it. But we're, we're also trash. We're, we're huffing it, but we're also hoofing it. <laughs> we're, you know? hoofing, we're huffing and we're hoofing. <laughs> and uh, Serafina, what oddity are you feeling like this week? I don't know if it's necessarily the oddity I'm feeling like because it's a little suggestive, but I have been obsessed with this week. These things that are called horror matches. Have you seen okay, them? I have, yeah. So they're basically a box of like very thin matches that are coated in wax that burn for seven minutes that prostitutes would use to time their um, their events with suitors. <laughs> and there's something about them that I just love. I, I love the idea of like, all right, let's go. Like, it's Watch so your match, bitch. <laughs> so good. Oh, my gosh. But the oddity I really want to hear about is that box, that mystery box you told us about from Rest in Pieces, right? Yeah, so I ordered the mystery box that Rest in Pieces offers on their website. And I was so excited because basically you order the box and then you send them an email. And in the email, you tell them like basically what you're into. And then the box is specially cultivated and then they send it to you. Um, And they also asked like, was the box for any sort of special event? And I was like, yeah, I'm buying it for myself because it's my birthday. (laughs) Because listen, uh, bitch doesn't have time to wait for other people to buy her gifts. If I want something, I just buy it. So that's what I did. <laughs> um, and the box is was beautiful. It was all black. It had the Rest in Pieces logo on it. And when you opened it, the top flap had a birthday card, basically, that said oh, Happy Birthday cool. from Rest in Pieces. It was very cool. It was like a skeleton. And then inside the box, it had, and I'm just going to go through, they sent a cool card that had all of the items listed out so that you knew what each thing was. So helpful. So I actually, when I saw that picture, which there will be pictures on our Instagram mm-hmm. if you go to um, us, our Instagram, Oddity Arcadia, of course. I thought that that was like an autopsy card. That's like, what it, it looks, looks like. so cool. Yeah, it looks like it was, like, um, done on a typewriter is the best yeah, way. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. The font is really cool. Um, so I'm going to list everything off and then kind of go through each thing. So the first thing I got was a planchette candle holder. So it's literally, like, a weeded board planchette where the circle is th- a tea light candle holder. It's absolutely beautiful. And I was telling Serafina that I did not tell them that I collect Ouija boards. Like, when I went through what I listed that I liked, it was literally, like, taxidermy, um, like, wet specimens. And I specifically mentioned spiders and scorpions because those are both um, two of my special interests. And then I said occult stuff and then I said religious and anti-religious stuff because I do like both. (laughs) Um, and funeral items. I did not include Ouija boards in there. So the planchette yeah. holder was like, they just nailed it. <laughs> so yeah, I was very impressed. I also got a wooden tarot box uh, that has like a pentagram on the top of it. It's super cool. Inside that box was a cedar bundle and a ash chamber pendant. So the ash chamber pendant is like a little container basically that you can put like cremated remains in and it has like a rose printed on the side of it. It's super hefty, very beautiful. I haven't figured out what I'm gonna put in it yet, but I love it. It's a really cool piece just to have. Um, It also came with a resurrection plant, which I was so excited to have. Uh, I don't have a place to put them yet, but once I find the right like bowl and setup for them, I'll definitely take pictures of it because it's just, 
a brown tumbleweed right now yeah. in a bag. They're really cool. If you do, would you mind recording it when you like put it in? It would be so cool to like yeah. time lapse or something. Yeah, There's I will absolutely. It's such a cool thing to have. It's very neat. I was very happy with it. Um, another thing that was included in there was a casket key. So I don't know if so you guys cool. know this, but uh, basically when they lock a casket, well, they lock caskets in general. I'm sure people don't know that. They don't just like close it and then they I put it in the ground. I did not realize it was like locked. I yeah. knew it was sealed, but I didn't realize there was a key. Yeah. And basically it's like a giant Allen wrench with like a huge, yeah. like a intricate handle on it. And as soon as I opened it and I knew what it was immediately because as we know, I'm a weirdo and I, I love funeral related <laughs> stuff. Um, I was like, fuck, I'm going to want to start collecting these now. <laughs> like, now right. that I have one and it's so cool, I'm like, time to collect them because I was super impressed. That one I have, like, in my um, my gallery wall now. I just kind of, like, put a nail in the wall and, like, hung it on there <laughs> so that it's I mean, it's, there. it definitely was, like, a superb item to have. Yes. I was like, so, so happy cool. with it. I was so excited. Um, I also got a labeled bone collection. So I got two little like cloth bags. Um, one of them has like a few pieces of spine, some of them from coyotes, some of them from foxes. And then I got a rib collection as well. Also some coyote and some fox and some raccoon, I believe. Um, everything's individually labeled. All the bones are beautifully done. They're white, pristine, amazing. Um, I got a coaster that has a scorpion and a spider in it, and they're, like, suspended, and there's, like, some cool fancy rocks, and it's, like, in resin. I will tell you, I've had this on my computer desk because I do have many beverages um, in front of me at all times, so I have coasters on my computer desk anyway. The spider has scared the fuck out of me multiple oh times gosh, because I it's, bet. like, it looks like a spider that you would see, like, in Ohio, so, like... Right. It, it just, every time I see it out of the corner of my eye, I'm like, oh, God. And I'm like, I like spiders, but it, like, startles me. Like, like, like oh, no. What is that? Like, how'd oh, you shit. get here? Um, I also got a orb weaver wet specimen. Yeah. And this thing is fucking huge, dude. Like, the abdomen on that thing is, like, it's got to be the size of, like, a quarter, maybe even bigger. And it has She's huge, a hefty huge long legs. Yeah, it's beautiful. Insanely, like, it's suspended in the wet specimen jar it's absolutely gorgeous i was so happy with the entire box experience um i highly recommend it if you're interested in that sort of like i mean you're here so um, if you're interested <laughs> and it was only 50 dollars only 50 dollars and it was I'm, worth the 50 dollars just for yeah. the opening experience like honestly so <laughs> yeah I, I highly recommend um, it's definitely like a that. tremendous collection yes yeah. Like, it's really well put together. And, and now curated. I just want to keep doing it because, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, they also sent me, like, um, a big stack of their stickers that have, like, their logos and stuff on them and the store name, um, which I love. And then also, um, it was a pack of matches that says light a path, burn a bridge. And it has a little devil um, holding, like, a lit match so on it. It's so cute. I was so happy with it. Um, and then I also ordered a couple other things for my birthday, and then some other people got me some really cool items, and I kind of made out like a bandit this year, so I wanted to talk about that too. Um, one thing I ordered for myself was a necklace that has graveyard dirt in it from the cemetery in New Orleans where Anne Rice is buried. And mm. it was from an artist in one of our oddity groups, and it's beautiful. 
I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's really cool. They even put like little pieces of bone in there so that like when you're you move it, there's like you can see the tiny bones. It's such a cool piece. I've been wearing it nonstop since I got it because it's just neat. Um, I have seen it in person and it's a really cool thing to have. Yeah, I'm very, very happy with that. It was super cool. And then Serafina got me a keychain um, that we will definitely post pictures of that I have on my emotional support water bottle now. <laughs> and it says, not friendly, do not touch. <laughs> The moment I saw it, I was like, and I'm buying that immediately. Because <laughs> it's so accurate, and I laughed so hard when I opened it. It's definitely one of my favorite things that I got, because I was just... <laughs> and then It also um, really helps that it was in black and white. Yes. Because yeah, if it was in any other color, I don't know if I would have bought it. With it being like so stark, black and white mod looking, I was like immediately, immediately buying. Immediately, yes. Yeah. Not even yeah. thinking about it. So I'm very happy with that. And then um, my friend Jared and I exchanged our Christmas gifts finally, and he also got me some stuff for my birthday. One of the things that I wanted to special mention, he got me a giant obsidian spider. This thing is literally like this, the size of the palm of my hand. I have it on my altar now. It is one of the coolest, most unique gifts I've ever gotten. It's just one of those things where you're like, I would not have thought to like seek that out so someone finding it and thinking of me is just really yeah. cool so to be fair jared is a really cool and unique person anyway so of course any of the gifts that you're gonna get from jared are gonna be pretty fucking on point it that's seems. facts that is absolute facts um and then my partner ordered me the elvira collector doll that so, mattel just so released cool. oh i have not gotten her yet but I'm so fucking excited. That doll is so fucking yeah. cool. They did such a good job on her. Yes. She's absolutely beautiful. So I'm very excited for that as well. It's, but yeah. it's been a good start to the year for you, huh? I know. It started out with a bang. I can't Hell complain. Yeah. Well, oddlings. <laughs> let me... <laughs> now that we've had fun... Yeah. And we've, this podcast know, is about to take a turn. It's about to be an, an eerie episode, which is how you know... Uh, <laughs> It's gonna be, it's gonna be depressing. If um, you're not shaking in your boots yet, you will be. You will be. Gotta lay so, some bitches up tight. Yep. Uh, better, you know, batten down the hatches and all that. So before we get started, we just wanted to mention that this is part one of the Die Out Love Pass. We do plan on posting part two as soon as humanly possible, so you don't have to wait that long. Um, I do want to do a trigger warning that I do go into the autopsy reports. I do go into detail in the autopsy reports because I do think they're important. Um, it does get kind of, you know, graphic and dark, gruesome. It does get very dark. Carnal. It does get sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, if you struggled with the Donner Party episode, you'll probably struggle with this one. So maybe catch us next time. Yeah. Um, we appreciate the ten minutes that you've been here <laughs> with us. Um, but I just wanted to give that trigger warning before we got into it. Um, this one's also probably going to be a fun time <laughs> so uh if you like the detail and you want to hear those things this is definitely the episode for you i know it's the episode for me because i am fascinated um so yeah it's something that i am even fascinated by so i know after the donner party i was a little scarred um i'm sure i'll still be a little scarred after that so if everyone could just send me some good vibes at the start of this pod i'd really appreciate that um but it's always been such an interesting story yeah I also feel the need um, I know that you're going to do it if I don't But we are both from Ohio 
So if we, we are saying things a little interesting, uh, please don't get mad at us. We're trying our best. But uh, if I at some point say Dietlov, just know, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. In my head, I'm sitting on a porch and it's a summer day, even though there's like seven inches of snow outside, which is also kind of setting the mood for me in a way. It is. It's kind of like, it's like the white death inside. It's about to be the white death inside. So, you know, whatever, whatever we can do. Very true. Yeah, I definitely apologize for any names or place names I absolutely destroy in this episode. I'm going to do my best. But, so, first off, most of this information came from dialovepass.com and my homie Wikipedia. The no, Dude of Wikipedia. Dudes. Um, if you do end up going to dialovepass.com, there are post-mortem photos on there. Oh, shit, uh, really? They do have them in like their own section, but they are kind of built into other um, like lengthy articles. So if you do not want to see them, don't look, basically. Mm. Um, some of these photos are very gruesome and are hard to look at. So just warning you. Good to know. If you go there, be ready. So, in 1959, a group was formed for a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Sverdlovsk, Oblast, Soviet Union. Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, now Ural Federal University, the leader, assembled a group of nine others for the trip most of whom were fellow students and peers at the university. The initial group consisted of eight men and two women. So next, I want to go through each of these individuals, talk about how they were, talk about, you know, them as people, because I feel like something that kind of gets lost when people are talking about this because it's so, you know, fascinating and interesting and it's a mystery, are that people lost their lives in this event. And I think it's very important to talk about those people because they were young and they were very experienced they were very experienced hikers they were very experienced campers and they loved doing this sort of thing so first we're going to start with yuri niklovich doroshenko his birthday was january 29th 1938 he died when he was 21 years old holy shit i know I didn't realize how young they were until I, didn't either. I went through all of these. Um, he was a fourth-year student of radio engineering in UPI. He had an impulsive personality and was famous at the school's hiking club for having run at a giant bear with a geologist hammer while on a camping trip. <laughs> he basically, this bear showed up and he's like, fucking fight me about it, actually. If you see me with a bear in the woods, help the bear. Is <laughs> that bitch gonna need it? He's gonna fucking need it. Um, he was once involved in a relationship with Zina Kolmogorva, which is one of the other um, people involved in the incident, um, and met her parents. Uh, although they broke up, he kept a good relationship with her and um, Igor Dyatlov. So this man is young. An experienced hiker attacks yep. a bear and is kind to women. And is kind, yes. Wow. Yep. Wow, we stand. We stand. Um, the next one was Ludmilla Alexandrovna Dubinina. She went by Luda. Her birthday was January 29th, 1938. She died when she was 20 years old. She oh, was leave. the youngest of the group. Uh, She was a fourth-year student in UPI University as an engineering and economics major. From the first day of her studies, 
She took an active part in the activities of the Institute's sports club, and she loved to sing and to take pictures. Luda had considerable mountaineering experience. During a hike through the eastern Sayan Mountains in 1957, she was accidentally shot in the leg by a hunter who accompanied the students, and she bravely suffered through both being wounded and having to go back a painful and lengthy ordeal. Oh my gosh. Like, she was a survivor, so... So far, these people are just badasses. Yeah, yeah. Which is important to note. Like, every time I talk about their hiking experience and things that they've been through remember that because it's important to the story. Galina Karanovna Batalova said that, quote, I went with Luda Dabinia on a hike of second category of difficulty, which I'll talk about the difficulty of hiking and what that means and uh, in a little bit, according to qualifications at the time, in the southern Ural in the summer of 1958. For me, it was my first hike, and for Luda, it was the first ski trek she was leading by herself. I have very fond memories of this expedition. After this trek, I couldn't imagine my life without hiking. Luda proved herself to be a wise, firm, thoughtful, and fair leader. She was always attentive to us, the beginners, and helped us in everything. We made friends with her, and after that, we often met. She was so excited that she was approved to go with Dyatlov and was kind of inspired, anxious, training, and getting ready. She was a strong person, both physically and spiritually. End quote. Wow. Um, So now we're going to talk about... Igor Dyatlov. His birthday was January 13th, 1936. He died when he was 23 years old. He was a student of the 5th Faculty of Radio Engineering at UPI University. He was a talented engineer um, and designed and assembled a radio during his second year that was used during hikes in 1956 in the Sayan Mountains. He also designed a small stove that he used after 1958, and he had brought that stove with him on the trip. For Igor Dyatlov, the mountains were calling and he had to go. This is a rephrasing by John Muir. Igor Dyatlov was brave, confident, experienced, and passionate. I know the kind. They can be wild when alone, but they always take care of their fellows. Igor had a sense of responsibility. Being a leader is a quality that cannot be acquired but comes from the core of your heart. Mountaineering, you can learn if you feel the tug, but you can't make people follow you and trust you with their lives. This is a talent that Igor had. He was a leader. So these are just like a bunch of bright young minds. Yeah, who all had some sort of love and experience with both hiking and camping and skiing. Yeah. Um, The next person is Alexander Kolvatov. His birthday was November 16th, 1934. He was 24 years old when he died. He was a student of nuclear physics. He was a fourth year student at the UPI University, the fifth or sixth child, and he was the only boy in the family. So it was like all Mm -hmm. girls and it was him. Um, He worked very well and was very active in his social life at the Institute. He became a member of the Institute Komsomol Committee, and he led the shooting sports section. Um, He did a lot of hiking and made a ton of new friends while he was at the university. So the next person is Zina or Zineda Alexeevna Kolmogorova. Her birthday was January 12th. 1937. She was 22 what? years old when she died. You share a birthday with her? Yep. We share wow. a birthday. 
I did not know that either. I was like, I had no clue. That's crazy. Uh, Zena was a fifth-year student at the UPI University as a radio engineering major. She was an experienced hiker who had her share of difficulties. During one of her trips, Zena was bitten by a viper. Despite the pain and suffering, she refused to lighten her load, unwilling to cause hardship to others. So, like, literally, bit by a viper was like, nah, I'm carrying my own shit. I don't, we're doing it. They just got a group of, like, the best people. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. Yep. Um, She was very outgoing and energetic. People who knew her said that she was the engine of the university. She was always full of ideas and was liked by everyone. As a result, people were naturally drawn to her, especially children. Zena had exceptionally sociable character, and despite her popularity in school, she treated everyone with fondness and respect. From childhood, Zena was a responsible and diligent girl. She used to help her parents and sisters. After graduating from a vocational school at the Kaminsk Uralski Radio Factory, and then an evening secondary school for working youth, Zena was then admitted to the UPI. Very well educated woman. Yep. Um, everywhere she went, she filled the place with pleasant breath of her soul. And that's a quote by Yuri Yudin. So just, that's you know, wonderful quote. people. Yeah. 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 Wow. Just overall, wonderful people. Um, so the next one is Yuri Alexievich Ravonishenko. He went by Georgi. Um, his birthday was February 7th, 1935. He was five days shy of his 24th birthday when he died. Wow. Um, he was a good friend of Dyatlov. He took part in almost all the expeditions that Igor went to. Also, Georgi was good friends with the majority of the Dyatlov group, who often visited the spacious apartment of his parents in the city center of Sverdlovsk. He studied construction and hydraulics in UPI University and graduated in 1957. While working in Chelyabinsk, uh, a secret nuclear facility, he experienced a disaster that became known as the Kushtim disaster. On September 29, 1957, the plutonium plant experienced a radioactive leak. Uh, Georgi was among the people who were sent to clean it up. He, mm. His body will wear clothes that have traces of radioactivity that's some link to this particular event. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But basically, when the bodies were found, there were some clothes that had radioactivity and some didn't. So, mm. um, and no one knows why. But, you know, him being involved in this, that there's a potential there. But there's not an explanation for anything that happens in this. So, gotcha. um, just a feather to keep in your cap. Yep. Um, however, being sp- a specialized engineer, um, Georgi had more knowledge about radioactivity and means to avoid unwanted exposure. So mm. it's like he knew what he was doing. So the chances of that being why the clothes were radioactive, maybe not. Maybe I'm no, literally, you're not going to be satisfied at the end of this. Let me tell you just now, <laughs> um, because there is there's no real um, I'm not satisfied with what they tell me the answer is. <laughs> mm, gotcha. um, he was the in-house court joker. He was always looking to amuse his friends with jokes or playing the mandolin. The mandolin he took on the Dyatlov Pass hike was found at the storage shed where the skiers left provisions for their way back. 
and mm. that like broke my fucking heart when I read that because I'm like he brought his mandolin and like it wasn't with him when he died you know they left it yeah. they left like some stuff in a cache to kind of like lighten their load and that was part of it and I just can't imagine being the rescuers and like going through that stuff that's so like eerily on its own and there mm. just being a mandolin in there too like something about that's really sad yeah, definitely. A yeah. bard without his tools. Yeah, that's exactly why he was like the bard of the group, yeah. Um, so the next person is Rustim Vladimirovich Slobodin or Rustic. He was born January eleventh, nineteen thirty six. He died when he was twenty three years old. He graduated from the UPI University in 1958, working in the Enterprise P.O. Box 10 at the time of the events. He was a very athletic man, honest and decent. Um, ethnically, he was Russian, but his parents, both university professors, worked in Asia when he was born and gave him an Asian name. Rustim, or Rustic, as he was often called, was a man of few words. He was a long-distance runner, and he liked to also play the mandolin and he often took the mandolin with him on long hiking trips. Another person who's into the arts. I was going to say, they both have mandolins? Yep, mandolin. Mandolin That's party. That's so crazy. Next person is Nikolai Vladimirovich Thibault Brignol, or Thibault. Um, his birthday was June 5th, 1935. He died when he was 23 years old. Um... Thibault was the son of a French communist repressed in the Stalin years. He came in Sverdlovsk from Kemerovo and studied well, finished the institute with an average score of 4.15. His studies were going progressively well, and to the end of his education was much better than his first year. So, you know, another smart person mm -hmm. <laughs> who's involved. Um, he had much experience in hiking trips of various categories and difficulties, and he was very popular among the UPI students and members of the sports club. Everyone who knew him noted his energy, inventiveness, friendliness, and humor. Um, he studied really hard, systematically and diligently. He was thoughtful and proactive. He was disciplined and diligent. He actively worked in student scientific society. Um, he was known to be able to independently work in a design organization in production and was good at research at his institute so it's like you know another person who was super friendly super smart loved what he was doing it had a good time like a group of people i want to hang out with right all of them seem so fun and now like all i can imagine is like all of them hanging out on like around a fire with like the mandolins going yeah. like having a good time yeah oh i'm already sad i'm sorry <laughs> you did this to me the next person is Semyon Alexievich Zolotaryov, also known as Sasha. His birthday was February 2nd, 1921. He died on his 38th birthday. Um, he graduated from the Institute of Physical Education in Minsk in 1950. Semyon was an Instructor Korovka Torbase at the time of his death. He was the oldest and also the most mysterious member of the group. He asked to be called Sasha, and that's the name that appears in many documents and memoirs, even though his given name was Semyon. Um, Sasha found himself at the Minsk Institute of Physical Education, which he successfully graduated in 1951. 
In the mid-50s, he worked as a sports instructor at the Tor base and then moved to Sverdlovsk region when he got a job as a senior tourism instructor at the Korovska Tor base. Something that I thought was funny was it specifically mentioned that he had tattoos. Like, that was... Hmm. We had to... He's so mysterious, he had tattoos. Was, was that a thing during the Soviet Union where, like, tattoos not... I mean, I'm sure... I'm looking it up because I kind of want to know. Yeah. Let's see. Russian criminal and prison communities maintain a culture of using tattoos to indicate members' criminal career and ranking. Tattoos were completely legal, but they were generally associated with the criminal subculture. Oh, so that's probably why. Yeah. Noted. Now we know. Now we know. Um, So Sasha's tattoos were supposedly also very interesting among them were images of a five-pointed star a strange shape like beats heart fire um the year of his birth and a saying that was common among soviet soldiers who served together for a long time um and the russian letter that represents friendship most of Sasha's tattoos were hidden by clothing, and the rest of the Dyatlov group members didn't know anything about them. Which, oh, really? Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting, because if did, they're, like, friends. Do we ever get into how he became part of this group? No, I don't really... I mean, I assume because he's part of this, like, tour base, and he's, like, an instructor, and, like, is fairly competent with, like, hiking and stuff, they, like, added him in, because it's good to have people who have that sort of experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, It just seems odd that they're all under 25, and and he's, he's 38. 38. Yeah. 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 So, the last person that was involved in the hike, but did not actually make it to the Dyatlov Pass was Mm -hmm. Yuri Yudin. So he did not go for the full trip. Like, he was part of it initially, but ended up having to turn back. Um, So he he didn't die with everyone else, obviously. Like, he was considered a survivor, even though he wasn't, like, part of the actual, like, incident. Um, So he died on April 27th, 2013. Oh, wow. At the age of 75 from rheumatic heart disease. And I was like, 2013? That's so, like, recent. That like, was, like, yesterday. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize that he... That he I love um, that I said that was yesterday. That was 10 years ago. Yeah, that was 10 years we ago. We are old. We are old. So, um, Yudin explained that while they were already en route to go to the Diet Love Pass, his sciatic nerve was inflamed and the pain was unbearable, so he had to turn around and go home. Um, he basically said that until the end of his days, he felt extremely guilty because all of his friends went on this trip and died. And he thought, he felt like I needed to be with them. The survivor's guilt would be insane. insane. Yeah, I cannot imagine. Um, he would go to the cemetery where all of them are buried every year on February 2nd. Um, and basically, like say to his friends like i should have been with you which is just Mm -hmm. so fucking i can't imagine having to live with that i i stay up late at night thinking about the things i fucked up when i was in like eighth grade same i couldn't imagine like how do you get any sleep after this yeah on the dyatlovepass.com there are pictures of all of them like as you know a group and what they looked like when they were in life and they just look so young and happy and like enjoying everyone's company yuri specifically mentioned too that um luda gave him like a little teddy bear keychain that he kept his entire life which like 
I get it. <laughs> I would yeah. have too. Like that's the last thing. It's nice that he had something. Yeah. Yeah, but like you look at these pictures of them being together and it's just such a fucking bummer. So now I want to talk about their hiking experience because like I mentioned earlier, it is super fucking important. Um, it, these are not people who went on a trip that they weren't prepared for, in my honest opinion. These are people who knew what the fuck they were doing yeah. and weren't going to make decisions that would like fuck them put their, over. Yeah, put their life at risk. <laughs> yep. Um, so each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving their grade three certification upon their return. At the time, grade three was the highest certification available in the Soviet Union and required candidates to traverse 300 kilometers or 190 miles. Mm. So t- to obtain class two... One must have five treks, of which three treks must have be of category one and two treks of category two. So this was not their first fucking rodeo. Like, they had to do right. a ton of traversing to get that grade two ranking, and they were about to be grade three. So all of them liked to camp, they liked to hike, and they were known for those things. I mean, I just read through, like, what everyone mm-hmm. was saying about them. Every single one mentioned that they liked hiking and they liked camping and that they had been doing it a ton. They were not fucking around. They were not, no. The route was designed by Dyatlov's group to reach the far northern regions of Srevlosk Oblast and the upper streams of the Lozva River. The route was approved by the Srevlosk City Route Commission. This was a division of the Srevlosk Committee of Physical Culture and Sport, and they confirmed the group of 10 people on January 8th, 1959. The goal of the expedition was to reach Otorten, a mountain 10 kilometers north of the site where the incident occurred. Um, Mount Orton is called, quote, don't go there because these mountains are, um, especially the gates between them, are considered sacred and dangerous since ancient times. Oh, wow. I just want to throw this in there because it does get mentioned. (laughs) That is interesting. Um, Another note that I had in here was this route, Estimated as a Category 3, was undertaken in February, which is arguably the most difficult time to traverse it. Which, like, Mm. it's literally, like, Russia and it's winter, so, like... Right. Yeah. Okay. So, next, I'm going to go through a timeline of events, um, you know, when they started out the trip to when everyone, um, like, when the bodies were found. So, we're starting in January of 1959. January 23rd, the group takes the number 45 train from Sorvlosk to the city of Sarov. In the unknown diary that they found at the campsite, it says that they took the number 43 train instead of the number 45 train, but the number 43 train doesn't exist. Hmm. Which is... Unsettling? What? Yeah, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, um, for some reason, my brain was like, what in the Hogwarts? Right. I also thought that. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah, I don't, I don't like they that. They don't know where this um, journal came from. It's no, not so her they handwriting. Find it, yeah, so it's about not. About a train that um, doesn't exist. Yeah, so they find the diary that was originally labeled as Xena's, but after they do handwriting... Um, like analysis, mm-hmm. it doesn't match her handwriting. They, so they don't know who it belongs to. Did they do to. a handwriting analysis for any of the other women that were there? If they never figured it out. It's just wow. labeled as unknown diary, which is also kind of scary. Don't love that. <laughs> don't like it either. Yep. 
so the entry that was actually in the diary says last night about 900 we boarded the number 43 train at last there is Pulse. 10 of us slavic bianco didn't come they didn't let him we are going with blinov group fun songs Around 8 a.m., we arrived in Sarov. We are not allowed to stay on the train station. The train to Ivdel is at 6.30 p.m. We are looking for a room. We are trying to get into the club to the right of the dining room and the station and the school, but fail. Finally, he, which they have like in quotes here, they're not sure who he is, finds oh. school number 41 about 200 meters from the train station where they were fairly well received, and that's where they ended up staying. So, so that's true? That's a real thing? Like, they vetted that they did stay there? Uh, yeah. I mean, they did a little bit of traveling before they actually went to the Dialogue Pass. So this journal so really right. does exist to somebody. Yeah, it's, so, it's one of them. It belongs to one of them. What the fuck? I know. I don't like it very much. Uh, January 24th, the group arrives at Sarov in the morning, where Georgie was detained for soliciting and singing out loud, and then was released... And a drunk accuses them of stealing his vodka. Which is so this is a bard. This is literally a bard. <laughs> literally. I, I heard this story and I was like, so Georgie was literally just an adventurer on his adventures. Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Uh, January 25th, the group arrives by train number 81 in Ivdel and takes a bus to Vizhey. January 26th, a truck takes the group to a logging community called District 41, a.k.a. 41st Di District of Quarter. I was like, what, in the Hunger Games? Um, <laughs> Literally. Uh, January 27th, the group hires a sled for 24 kilo kilometers to North 2 Mining Settlement, which is abandoned. January 28th, Yuri Yudin goes back with the sled due to poor health. And the group now consists of nine members, and that night they spend the night on the banks of the Lazva River. So we're just in the big, um, at the end of January, they're starting their travels, that's when we, Yuri turns around and doesn't end up traveling with the rest of the group. Gotcha. January 29th, the group on skis makes their way from the Lazva to Ospaya River, where they spend the night. January 30th, the group pitches their tents on the banks of the Ospaya River. January 31st, the group tries to ascend the shortest way from Ospaya to Lazva River, now called the Dyatlov Pass, and goes back to spend the night on the banks of the Ospaya River. So now we're into February. February 1st, the group makes the cash to lighten their backpacks. They start late and go 500 miles off their planned route. They cover two kilometers and pitch their tent on the north slope of Kolat Saikal. So I was wondering why they cached. Um, so I did a little research on that to kind of figure out the reason why they were doing that. So they were carrying a stove, and even though they had not used it at the night, that means they were planning on using it at least once um, on their return back, so they didn't want to bring it with them. Um, they pitched the tent on the ridge, although they had time to go down to the Lazper River. The only reason that to do that is to continue in the morning on high grounds toward Ortorton, which is easier to ski on firm snow. So basically, they were like trying to pitch the tent so that they didn't have to go all the way back so that they could kind of continue in the morning. 
Gotcha. Um, and basically, the conclusion is that they plan to have more, quote, warm overnights on February 2nd at Lake Lunthusupter under Mount Otorton, where the source of Lazfa starts. And they had planned to make the ascent then. So what a warm night means is nights where they have firewood versus a cold night, which is nights that they don't. Oh, okay. So they kind of like rotate so that they there's like less shit to carry. They know how to do that. Sure. Yeah. Smart and should know what they're doing. Yeah, experience. Yeah. So on February 2nd, all members of the Dyatlov group die in a mysterious way. So it actually happened on February 2nd. On February 12th is when the group was supposed to be back in Vizhe. So it had been agreed upon beforehand that Dyatlov would send a telegram to UPI Sports Club as soon as the group returns to Vizhe. It was expected okay. that this would happen no later than February 12th, but Dyatlov had told Yuri Yudin that he expected it to be longer. So when February 12th passed and there was no message received, there wasn't an immediate reaction because delays of a few days were common in the expeditions. Right. So okay. this day comes and goes and not... People aren't super concerned yet. There's no red flags being waved. Yes. So the first person to become bothered by the delay of the hikers' return was Alexander's eldest sister, Rima. She started asking questions, urging authorities to start a rescue operation. And on February 26th, a telegram was sent to Nikita, uh, signed by Nina, another sister of Alexander Kolov Kolovatov. So people are starting to like... Hey, our family members are missing. Can we, like, do something about this? Can we look like, into it? ASAP. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Nina Anismova, one of the one of the four Kolovatov's sisters, so Alexander's sisters, in her despair, made up an earlier date of the group's expected return date to make the oh, facts no. more ominous so that she could try to get more yeah. people to, like, get on it. The telegram may have escalated the search and rescue operation to the highest circles. So, basically, her being like, yo, they were supposed to be back at this earlier date, which was not true, mm -hmm. got everyone to be like, oh, shit, like, we need to be on this, like, now. Right. So, on February 21st, that's when search parties are now on their way. And it's snowy, so it's going to be a time. It's not going to be mm -hmm. quick. <laughs> As we know from the Donner Party. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Igor Dyatlov didn't file all the required documents for the trip, supposedly, notably the map or the route, so the organizations of the rescue expeditions became hindered by this fact because they didn't exactly know where they were supposed to go. Um, the necessary information began to be feverishly reconstructed from the stories of people who had heard about the plans of Dyatlov's group, so it's like they're playing a oh game gosh. of telephone to like get everything that right. they need to even go on the expedition. The problem mm -hmm. with the missing map was resolved by a member of another Polytech sports club, um, Ignati Fokic Ryogen, a friend of Alexander's family, who discussed extensively with Alexander the forthcoming trek in mid-January. So Ryogen recalled the route of the group from memory, and on February 19th, Rima handed over the map to Colonel Georgi a tactics instructor from the UPI military department who led the search for the group in those February days and subsequently put a lot of effort into clarifying the history of the Dialogue group. So basically wow. they finally find someone who, hey, talked about what this, where they went and the map 
and got that information to the right people to make it a little bit easier um, so that they can actually find them. That's kind of crazy. Isn't it? Where it's they like had they had to like build the whole thing. Yeah. And that takes time. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, February 26th, Slobsov and Sharavin find the tent. Prosecutor Vasily Tempolov opens an official investigation. So uh, the two people who found the tent were members of the rescue party. Traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot. That is important to note <laughs> because there's going to be some theories later that talk about some crazy things happening where you would think people would run away or like, mm-hmm. you know, cause a panic. But when they got mm-hmm. to the tent, it looked like everyone willingly left on foot, not in a panic. Gotcha. So mental note. Mikhail Sheravin said, quote, the tent was half torn down and covered with snow. It was empty and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind, end quote. Investigators mm-hmm. said that the tent had been cut open from the inside. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yep. There were nine sets of footprints left by people wearing only socks or a single shoe, or even barefoot that could be followed, leading down to the edge of a nearby wood on the opposite side of the pass, 1.5 kilometers to the northeast. After 500 meters, these tracks were covered with snow, which makes sense because it took a few days for them to... Yeah. At the forest edge, under a large Siberian pine, the searchers found the visible remains of a small fire. There were the first two bodies at this fire. The branches on the tree were broken up to five meters high, suggesting that one of the skiers had climbed up to look for something, perhaps the camp. Between the pine and the camp, the searchers found three more corpses, Dyatlov, Kolmogorova, Slobodin, who died in... Poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. Okay. Um, February 27th, the bodies of Doroshenko, Krivon Ishenko, Dyatlov, and Kolmogorova found. Uh, Kolmogorova was found by a rescue dog. So between February oh. and February 26th, February 27th is where they're starting to find the bodies that are like near the camp. Okay. March. So now we're into March. March 2nd, the cache is found by Slobsov and Kurikov, so um, two of the rescuers. Uh, March 4th, that's when they start the autopsy of the bodies that they have found. Um, March 5th, the body of Slobodin is found by Carolyn and soldiers from Lieutenant Potapov's group. Axelrod notices the icy bed under the body. I'm going to talk about what that means later, so just make a mental note. Icy bed under the body. Okay. March 8th, the autopsy of Slobodin occurs. March 9th, Durashenko and Komorgorova are buried. Uh, March 10th, Dyatlov and Slobodin are buried. Uh, March 17th, Vladimir Kortev is fired. 
and they hire Lev Ivanov as the lead investigator. So they're already starting to, like, fuck around with the investigation, yeah. which, like, I don't like. I'm not a fan. Anytime someone's, yeah. like, already started working on it, and then, like, you start fucking around, it's like... You're gonna lose those, like, little first things that the other person found. Yeah. So, that was March. Okay. We're skipping April and moving on to May. Okay. Because nothing happens in April. What do you mean nothing, nothing happens. happens in April? Okay. On May 5th, they find the den and the bodies of Dubinina, Kolvatov, and Thibault, Brignoli, and Zoltaryov. The den was made by the surviving four members of the Dyatlov group 70 to 75 meters from the cedar in a ravine that was hidden from cold winds. It was a common way to survive winters at the front, and given the circumstances, it offered the best chance for survival for those who remain behind, waiting in hopes that their three friends will make it to the top of the mountain. It further undermines the theory of paradox undressing. So basically, paradox undressing is that thing where like you get so cold that you start taking your clothes off because you think that you're hot. Mm -hmm. And one of the theories of what happened here was... Um, paradox undressing but them mm -hmm. building this den where they're like trying to keep themselves warm right. leads people to believe that like they're trying to minimize the cold so they're actually cold right um so the group clearly realizes that there's you know there's a threat going on and that they need to be able to preserve themselves um cedar branches were brought here and laid out to minimize contact of human bodies in the cold snow underneath so they're trying to keep themselves warm and doing yeah. all the things that they need to do they're clearly also at this point at least mentally stable enough to make decisions yes yeah that is interesting absolutely true when in may the snow starts to melt a mansi native kurakov with his dog noticed some cut branches that were forming a sort of trail which they followed and 500 meters from the cedar they found black cotton sweatpants the right leg cut off with a knife cedar what? branches a young fir tree was missing its top and another piece of clothing were found the left half of the woman's light brown wool sweater um, right half and sleeves were cut off the sweater was presumed to belong to Luda. The area was previously searched with avalanche probes, but the snow then was deeper than expected. So the Dyatlov Pass den is one of the key issues in the whole Dyatlov Pass incident. On one hand, it clearly shows that the members of the party were sane enough to do anything right. and their power to survive, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's still unclear on why their attempts didn't work. Right. And then another thing about the den is that we said earlier that someone noticed that there were trees, like, obviously cut with a knife on the way up to the den. Right. They didn't find a knife in the den. Oh, Jesus. Okay. So to how be fair, the fuck? Could have been, could have been dropped in the snow. Sure. Could have, could have been dropped in the snow. Sure. Oh, I don't know. I don't like any of this. Um, something that Captain Trin... Chernezev mentioned in his official statement was it's possible that other people have since been by the fire the trees near the fire had been cut with knives but we found no noise with the body so basically they're well, saying like there, someone could there have there was two it. bodies at the fire yep so if other people had been like oh look a nice fireplace let me just use or it they, I they mean, people the had, bodies 
I mean, the assumption oh, here is saying that, like before, or someone had just through. come and looted the body. Yeah, and then cut some firewood. No, that it was already cut, and then someone came and looted uh, after and took the knife. Yeah, and took the knife. I understand. Yeah. Now. Okay. Yep. Well, I mean, maybe. Not a fan of either of the any of that, honestly. Don't love. Yeah, I mean, I really don't love it, but. I mean, what do you get? What do you? Yeah. Um, May 9th. The autopsy of the four found in the den begins. Um, May 12th is when everyone is buried. May 27th, radiation analysis is reported on the clothes and tissues of the four individuals found in the den. And um, then on May 28th, they close the case. Um, why? Yep. They were just like, oh yeah, we're, we did it. That's a really it's great done. question. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, so, official statements for closing the case given by Junior Counselor of Justice and Criminal Prosecutor of Svrvlovsk Region, Lev Ivanov. The deaths of the expedition members were due to a series of mistakes by Dyatlov. On the 1st of February, he began the ascent to the summit at 3 p.m., even though he knew about the difficulty of the terrain. Furthermore, and this was Dyatlov's next mistake, he chose a line 500 meters to the left of the planned pass that lies between peak 1079 and peak 880. So the group found themselves on the eastern slope of peak 1079. They used what was left of the daylight to ascend the summit in strong winds, which are typical for this area, Jesus. and low temperatures of minus 25 degrees centigrade. Dyatlov found himself in bad conditions for the night, so he decided to pitch his tent on the slope of 1079 so as to start in the morning without adding the distance from the forest one kilometer to the remaining trek of about 10 kilometers to the summit. So basically they're saying they didn't know what they were, I like, Dyatlov directed them incorrectly. I'm sure that's possible, but that doesn't explain and that's like what anything happened now. else. But like, like, it explains how they got to where they were, but that doesn't mean... <laughs> no. Also, we haven't talked about uh, the way the bodies were found or what's going on with the bodies yet. And when I yeah. talk about that, you're going to be like, what the fuck is this guy on? Because, <laughs> like, yeah. you can't tell me that they just died See, because the weather was bad based off of all so the shit I, had I am always about assumed to tell you. that it was the paradox undressing. That, like, they had just all gotten frostbite and were, like, freaking out because now it's, like, too hot or whatever. And then you hear about the conditions of the body and you're like, mm. Hold on. Let me tell you that frostbite is like yeah, kind of I mean, involved, I'm, I'm sure but it's not involved enough involved that I would no think that what, they just died of exposure. So before we get into the autopsies, I'm sorry to say, dear oddlings, that that is going to be the end of part one. Part two is where we're going to pick up at the autopsies and we're gonna go over theories of what potentially happened here what i know you're gonna do this to the people i am that's insane i can't believe you're doing this again sorry not sorry um a quick summary of everything that we went through too just so we know we went through the timeline of events at this point all of the bodies have been autopsied and they closed the case insane and they closed the fucking case i can't wait to hear some of these theories yeah I'm get ready crazy. for that buckle down 
I can't believe you're doing this to people. Sorry, not sorry. And uh, stay out, Arcadia. Rude. <laughs>